Hallelujah. Well, welcome to everyone. If you're a guest today, we welcome you this morning. We're so glad to have you in service with us today. If this is your first or your second time with us, we invite you to stop by the back corner after service. I'd like to give you just a small token of appreciation for being here this morning. If you're watching us online today, wherever you're watching us from, we welcome you as a part of this service uh, as well and pray that you are blessed by it. If you're not standing and you're able to stand, if you would do so, it is a privilege and a blessing this morning to have a friend of ours with us. But I, I'm going to say, you know, we are, we are very free to say that we have pastor so-and-so Brother Smith's been with us, and we are very free to say we have evangelist David Smith. So I, I, I don't, for some reason, we're a little less comfortable with this, but I'm just going to say it, and most of you will believe it. Some of you may not agree, but that's okay. I know he's our friend, but we are happy this morning, honored to have Prophet Shelton. I know we're not too comfortable with that term, but if we can say pastor and we can say evangelist, then we can say the rest of them. And so I told him yesterday, if you got good stuff to say to us, say it, but if you need to rebuke us, rebuke us. Because the bottom line, whether it's good or bad on our flesh, we want to hear what God wants to say to us. Amen. So would you welcome this morning, Brother Shelton from Alma, Arkansas. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, where are you going? Wait a minute. Y'all get back up here. We're not done with this. I learned that one little verse. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've slipped into that flow and we're going to stay with it. All right. Look to your neighbor and tell them the presence of the Lord is here. <laughs> tell them again the presence of the Lord is here. Tell them again, the presence of the Lord is here. I can feel it in the atmosphere, that song says. I suppose if I hadn't seen him raise the dead three times, you might talk me into believing that it doesn't really happen. But I didn't hear about it three times. I saw him do it three different times. And because I've seen him do it, I'm convinced he'll do it again. If I had never seen the blind eye see, you might actually convince me it couldn't happen. But since I've seen it, I expect to see it again. Not only can you talk me out of believing it, you can't talk me out of believing that it'll happen again today. If I hadn't seen God do the impossible, you might convince me that he won't do it today. But because I've seen him do it, I don't just believe he can. I expect him to do it. And if it doesn't happen, I'm disappointed. If it doesn't happen, I wonder what's wrong with me and us. Because God hadn't diminished. 
He's as much God right now as he was when he said, let there be the very first time. The universe is still obeying him all these millions of years later. Because his word is just that powerful. He could stand on one side of eternity and speak through that portal of time into eternity and cause a dead man to get up and come out of a grave. If that God then could stand on that side of eternity and speak into eternity, he can speak from heaven back into the earth realm this morning and say to a crippled limb, be straightened out, be strengthened, be no more withered. If he could raise a dead man, he can speak to a dead situation. I didn't come hoping God will do something. I quit coming to church hoping God's going to do some stuff. I came to church looking for what he's doing. Every time I go to the house of God anymore, I'm looking for what it is he's already doing. I'm looking for who that next candidate is that God's going to touch. Who that next candidate is that not is just going to be touched by God, but that's going to touch him. And I wonder what will happen this morning if we'll go ahead and unharness this deal. And quit asking God to touch us and say, you know what, (laughs) whether you touch me or not this morning, I I got my eye on you. Whether you have intended to stop by my pew or not doesn't change anything. I've got my eye on you and I'm going to press my way through every problem. I'm going to press my way through every obstacle. I'm going to press my way past my doubt, my fear, my unbelief. And I'm going to touch you. You can get as much from God touching him as you can get. From him touching you. That widow woman turned around and made her way to him. If she had looked at the crowd and all of her circumstances, she might would have gone back to the house. But Brother Timmy, there was something in her that was too desperate to go back home the way she got there. There was something in her that had already predetermined whether anybody else gets anything from him today or not doesn't change anything for me. I am too desperate to go home the way I got here. I am too in need of a magnificent touch from God. God didn't even know she was in the crowd as it might would seem. Whether he had acknowledged her or not. I've seen people get knotted up because they don't get called out. Like, are you kidding me? Whether you get called out or not isn't the point. Did you make your way to him? I've got as much, Brother Barr, from God touching him as I have him touching me. Matter of fact, there have been some occasions where it seemed like, Brother Wright, some extra things were released from heaven because of my faith. He said, woman, your faith has made thee whole. Not just your issues being healed. Not just what drove you to me. But everything that's been affected by what drove you to me this morning, I'm going to fix that too. When he told her, I'll make you whole, he wasn't talking about just healing her body. He was talking to her about everything that had been negatively affected by her issue. And some of us are just here because of our issue. God's trying to get beyond your issue and fix everything that's been affected by it. 
You think it's just a marriage that's got problems, but God said, you know what? I not only want to fix your marriage, but I want to fix everything that a messed up marriage has messed up. And I wonder what would happen to us if we just get our mind off the issue. Your issue may drive you to Him. Your issue may be what presses you to press your way to Him. But let God deal with more than just the issue. Let God deal with more than what you brought in here with you. Let God fix more than just what you think is wrong. Let God make right everything that's been affected by what's going on in your life. I asked the Lord earlier this morning, I said, Lord, let... Let the gift of faith be released in the sanctuary today. Standing in that hotel room. Let the gift of faith be released in here. And when they started singing that song, oh, don't, don't go too slow on me. You'll rock them back. They'll go right out. Oh, yeah. Somebody hit a guitar string back there. Just... Hallelujah. Thank you. Y'all felt your help come in here too, didn't you? My God, if we had that B3 lit up right now, where'd that thing go? Oh! Huh? Oh, bless him. Can you get that any louder than that? Now, can you do your part over there? Timothy, can you hit them drums? All right. Now, they're not going to do anything for us. I just want to know if they knew what they were doing with all that. <laughs> and they do. <coughs> we're going to let them be involved, though. But we're not going to depend on them. I am waiting on an angel to come in here, and I don't know which one it'll be. But he's on the way. And when that spirit of ministry gets in here, we're going to let it happen. Our expectation has got to go beyond what it normally goes to. It, regardless of whether there's music being played or not, our expectation has got to go beyond that. Beyond our issue, the woman with the issue of blood, she had an issue. How many of you got an issue this morning? Let me see your hand. Be brave about it too. Don't be lying in the house of God. I ain't got no issue. You got it. I came in here with an issue. But before I had an issue, I had a God. Amen. Before I had a problem, He had an answer. Before I had an impossibility, He had a miracle. And all we're trying to do this morning is connect the problem with the answer. All we're trying to do this morning is get that impossibility in the atmosphere of the miraculous.
Look at your neighbor and tell them, the presence of the Lord is here. gift of faith is here. They started singing that song a few minutes ago. I felt that thing start to release and move about in the sanctuary. And some of you, when he started talking about me preaching this morning, some of us just kind of checked out and left that, that spirit of ministry that had erupted in here. And you settled into a long winter's nap, so I'm not going to preach. We're just going to wait. I'm waiting on somebody to get back in that flow. She said, God's brought me too far in that one verse to, to turn back now. God's done way too much. That hallelujah anyway stuff. I've, I've come too far. I've seen God have to reach down. I, whether he, even, even if he don't do a miracle for me this morning, I'm going to conduct myself as though he is because he already has. Whether he ever does another miracle for me or not doesn't change how I'm going to act in his presence today he's done too much for me he's brought me too far he's picked me up too many times he's done too many miracles in my family he's done too many miracles in my health he's done too many miracles in my home he's done the impossible too many times for me to sit here right now and play like he may or may not be able to do it again. When I think of all the goodness of Jesus and what he's done for me, She said it a while ago, you can be going through hell on earth, but if you'll just park that little buggy for a minute and begin to put your mind back on him and remember that even though I'm going through a valley right now, I remember the last time I was in a valley and the hand of God reached down into that pit I was in. The Bible said his arm is not short, that he cannot save me, nor is his ear too heavy, that he cannot hear me. So even though I'm surrounded on every side, and even though the adversary has got me backed into a corner, I still yet remember. Uh, turn around and tell somebody, I still remember. No, you didn't say it right. You were like, I still remember. You got to get it from down here. I still remember what God has done for me. I remember when he brought me out of darkness and put me in that marvelous life. I hadn't been saved so long that I don't remember what a mess I was in when God found me. I'm going to tell you what, you're going to get what you give this morning. God's not going to force a miracle on none of us. I watched a young man 
grow in the Lord after his initial meeting with the Lord. In his initial meeting with the Lord, he was stoned out of his head. He had every drug he could put in his body in his body. He had a backpack full of dope, and it was thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of dope. He sat through a Bible study, stoned out of his head. He didn't even know where he was. But there was something about the Word of God that began to penetrate through that fog in his brain. He got up and went into the restroom in that church. And he began to pray to a God he really wasn't even sure existed. And he told the Lord, I don't know who you are or where you are or what you can really do. But I've never felt anything like I felt what they were talking about when they were telling me about you. So if you're really out there and you're really able to do what they told me you'll do, if you will, if you will somehow sober me up, I want what they said I can have. He took his backpack, unzipped every zipper on it, turned it upside down and began to dump it in the toilet. And the more the dope came out of that backpack, the more God sobered him up. And by the time the last pack of dope had fell out of that backpack, he was sober and in his right mind. An hour later, he was out of it again because God had filled him with a baptism of the Holy Ghost. He went to every drug addict he knew and told them, if you really want something that'll make your life better, come with me and let me show you what I found at the altar. I'm trying to tell you, you'll get out of this deal what you put into it. If you'll give it your all, God will give you his all. And I'm going to tell you something. Some of you might get by with it today, but some of you are not going to get by with getting what you came here needing and being pretty at the same time. For some of us to get what we need today, it's going to have to get ugly up in this place. I'm telling you, it's going to just absolutely have to get ugly where you sit. You are going to have to make your... You've been pretty so long and done it right so long that we leave frustrated time after time. And God will move into this building and walk right past you. I don't believe that. Hey, there were two blind boys that had to follow him and trespass on private property to get into a house party they weren't invited to before God ever even addressed them. And finally the Lord asked them a question. What? Would you have me do for you? And I hear the Holy Ghost saying it again today in Arnold, Maryland. What would you have me to do for you? And I'm going to tell you. I think sometimes our behavior does not match our request. If your baby was in a desperate situation... I got two kids, and if either one of them was in a desperate situation, I promise you, it wouldn't be some of this pitiful, pretty nonsense. Oh, God, help her. Oh, no, uh -uh. I'd be like, the devil is a lie. Uh-uh, God gave me this baby. 
and the devil ain't taking her away from me. No, no, Lord, you gave me Eliana. You gave me Erica. You gave me my wife. You, you the one that brought them to me. You blessed me with them. Now I'm reminding you of what you told me. And I bind you. You got sometime, you got to take your little tie off and throw your coat on the back of the pew and get down to it and make your mind up until God does something. We're not leaving here until God fixes me, until God gets involved. I'm not getting up. The angel of the Lord told Jacob, he said, we've been wrestling all night. You got to let me go. The sun's coming up. He gave him an out. I understand you got work to do. When the sun comes up, you got things to do. I realize that. So if you want to, Jacob, we've been out here all night. You'd let me go now. And he said, no, you know what? My chores can wait. My household can wait. What I need from you can't wait. And if you think I'm going to wrestle all this time, you think I'm going to come all this distance, you think I'm going to fight every devil I've had to fight and deal with every problem I've had to deal with and check out at this point, you've lost your mind. I've been in this battle with you since the sun went down last night, and I don't care if the sun goes down again before it's over with, you are not getting away from me before you have done something that changes me. And our circumstances sometimes don't match our behavior. We got to get desperate. You and I have got to get desperate. There's miracles that God wants to do in here this morning. I ain't calling them out. First of all, some of them ain't none of my business or anybody else's. Secondly, sometimes we get dependent on somebody calling us out and ministering to our need. No, uh-uh. The waters were troubled, and anybody that had a brain was sitting there ready, waiting on it to be troubled. And when it was troubled, whoever got in it got what they came for. Now, I'm going to tell you, we're going to leave this building here in just a little while. And I'm not going to feel bad about not one of you that don't get what you came here needing. If you leave here like you came in Jesus' name, it's on you and it's your fault. Don't blame nobody else. Don't blame the musicians. Don't blame the singers. Don't blame the pastor. Don't blame the elders. And don't blame the person sitting beside you. If you came here and you raised your hand a while ago and said, I came with an issue and you leave here without God getting involved in your issue, then it's going to be your fault and nobody else's. Yeah.
Let me have your attention a minute. I know we've got guests here, and, and you, if you came looking for normal, you're in the wrong place anyway. So if you came looking for something that will satisfy your soul, you're in the right place. But for those of us that are here, this is not a rebuke, but this is a question. Has anybody felt us have a surge of faith every now and then this morning? You'll feel it surge, and then it's like it hits the styrofoam wall and just stops. Or am I the only one that's picked up on that? Can I see? Show, am I the only one? Anybody else felt that? Let me see. Hold your hand up. I want to see. How many of you with your hands up are frustrated with that? I, I'm just done with it. Now, either, either we're going to break through this, or we can just go on home to the house right now and have an early lunch. I flew a long ways to be here. And I, I, in my opinion, if we're going to put the effort into being here, let's, let's get what we came for. We don't have to make something happen. You know that. It's already happening all around us all the time. We have got accustomed to fixing our problems with preaching. Because if, if somebody preaches good, if somebody sings good, I can respond, feel better, and have no involvement and no investment in it at all. And if I don't get what I need, then it's somebody else's fault too. Now, I've looked around and watched some of you pray, and, and you and I both know that the pressure you've been under and what you've been dealing with is a lot more substantial than what you're doing right now in response to it. And again, like I said earlier, our behavior sometimes doesn't match our circumstances. We're not as desperate in our behavior as we are in our situations. And the Lord is a gentleman and he is not going to force himself on any of us. He's, he's not going to make us uh, have any kind of an experience with him we don't want to have, but neither will he hold back from us what we're truly hungry for and believe for. Both of those are facts. You, you've got Pastor Wright, a phenomenal preacher. If, it's, if, if preaching could fix all of us, then all of us would be fixed and we wouldn't even need to be at church about once a month. You could just let him preach in the studio and you could get in online and watch it online and that'd be good enough. 
But there's something else that's involved here, and it's, it's a spiritual conditioning. And, and, and I'm going to tell you something. I, I really am convinced that our, our expectations, not the lack of them, I'm not letting us off that easy. It's not because of a lack of expectation, and it's not because of no faith. It's because of tremendous expectation and tremendous faith that we have so little. Because that's what we believe we're going to have. We come to church with these insurmountable expectations that it's going to be just another Sunday at Arnold. Y'all point your fingers at anybody you want to. I am not leaving here without what I need from God. I don't need you to help me get there either. I know him. He knows me. I get what I need from God at 2 o'clock in the morning sitting in my office in my house by myself. I can get what I need from God and do a lot of times sitting on plane seats or driving down the interstate. There's times I'll drive this week. I'm going to drive to Houston eight and a half hours. I don't know why somebody would say you'd want to do that. I'm going to do that because I need to get somewhere with God and I can't do it with a bunch of clutter and going on around me. So I'm going to get in that truck by myself and I'm going to gain some ground and take some territory between me and him. I'm going to get some stuff fixed. I don't need you to behave right for me to get what I need from God. And all of this stuff we do up here, on one hand, it's success, but on the other hand, it's trap. Because we get to the place we become so dependent on it that the Holy Ghost would do something. What would happen to us? What would we have if we just came in here and started church with the Word? It takes six weeks for some of us to get accustomed to that. I'm not offended at anybody at all. I'm really not. I feel badly for some because I'm watching you pray up to that invisible wall. And when you get to that invisible wall, you just stop. Because that's where your faith lets you get to. Your faith says we can pray to this point. Your faith says, and and there should never be an apostolic say, I don't know what I'm going to do. If you believe in God at all, Brother Barr, if I even halfway believe in God... I should never look at my situation and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I may not know how he's going to do it, but I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my situation and give it to him and let him deal with it. I am not going to deal with this not one more minute. I'm done with it. And you feel that? Oh, that's cute, Brother Shelton. I'm going through stuff, Brother Shelton, you don't even have a clue about. <laughs> Look, let's not start comparing notes, okay? Let's just not even start all that. And we get, we get to putting our faith in our impossibilities. We put our faith in our insurmountable circumstances. We put our faith and confidence in the negative report. And the scripture clearly notes to us that there are two options. Whose report are you going to believe? I know the enemy's got one. I know the doctor has one. I know the banker has a report. I know the the financial sheet has a report. I, I know the marriage counselor has a report. I know that the school has a report. I know your job has issued a report. I know your life has issued a report. And it's just life. I understand that. I know there's that report. 
But the Lord's also saying to you and I, there's a second report that you don't see right off the bat. And if you want to know what I think about your situation, then read the report, listen to the report, give me time to tell you what I know about what you're going through, and then we'll deal with it. And a lot of it has to do with our perspective. The little servant comes into the prophet. Hey, man, we are hemmed up on every side. Yeah, I know. Well, you need to pull one of them miracles out of that bag. You, you need to do something. Yeah, I'm going to do something. And the, and the man of God prays one prayer, and his prayer is not that the circumstance change. He didn't say, Lord, deliver us from these enemies, as we all know you're able to do. We keep praying for God to deliver us from stuff rather than praying the stuff we ought to be praying. There's some of us that we would have already blown the back doors off of this building this morning if we had had this miracle. The prophet asked the Lord, change the way he sees our situation. Let him know, let him see that beyond the enemy's armies are a host of angels from heaven that have surrounded not just us, but our enemies. Our enemies don't even know they are the ones that's hemmed up. So the little fellow goes back outside and he sees all that and you never hear anything else about his dilemma concerning their circumstances. He's not worried about it from that point forward. And I'm telling you, we, we have got to get beyond the point that we respond to God from our negative expectations. There's no such thing as no faith. I just don't have faith for that. I just don't have any faith. Yes, you do have faith. And your faith is that God cannot do it. Our worship and our response to heaven would be just like it's supposed to be if we believed he could, even if we didn't know whether he would. When we sit on God, when we refuse to respond to God, it's not because we're not sure if he will intervene. We're not totally convinced that he can. Well, I don't believe that, Brother Shelton. Well, I tell you what, if them little Hebrew boys had had our mindset, they'd have burned to a crisp right up in that oven. Their, their whole situation was desperate. And their response to it was not, I don't know if God can do this or not. They didn't say, I don't know if God can, Brother Whaley. They said, I know he's able. We are well aware and convinced of the fact that God is able to deliver us. Whether he will or not, we aren't sure. But his ability to do it, his being God is not changed by where I'm at. God being God is never going to be lessened or determined by what you and I go through. He's going to be God whether we are aware of it or not. He's going to be God whether we believe he is or not. And if he is truly God and we're truly believing that he's God... We change the way we respond to him. Tornadoes coming through Fort Smith again last weekend, last week while I'm in Houston. A friend of mine texted me. I was in church. He texted me. I was, I was in the hotel getting ready to go to the church. And he texted me and he said, would you please call Bishop Wright and ask him to extend the coverage or to change what he spoke? Three years ago, I had to go to New Albany during the springtime, and they were predicting some of the worst tornadoes we had had in the Fort Smith area in over 20 years. The Lord wouldn't let me out of going to New Albany. The Lord told me, no, you got to go. I, I want that word spoke to those people. 
So I text the bishop and I told him what my dilemma was. He said, what do you want? I said, I need you because God's given you authority and dominion with the weather. I need you to speak to these storms and I need them. I, I need this stuff dealt with. He said, what do you want to happen? I said, I want them when they get to the southwest side of Fort Smith down around Poto, Oklahoma, I want them to either go all the way north or all the way south or split and go around us. But I don't want those tornadoes. I don't care if it rains and a little wind, but I don't want those tornadoes coming over my house. I got a family that I can't be there with physically, and I need God to protect them while I'm gone. He texted me back and simply said, it's done. I get to New Albany, and it was, you hear me, the weather was horrible at home. And I'm sitting on the platform with my phone out watching this stuff. And I keep reminding God the whole time, Lord, you, you heard the bishop. You heard my faith. You heard the bishop's word. It's done. The bishop said it's done in Jesus' name. It's done in Jesus' name. And I watched as those tornadoes would get to Poto, Oklahoma, and those storms would literally, it's like a wedge like this. They break and they go north and they go south every time. And for three years, it don't matter. We didn't specify what kind of weather we were talking about. So all inclement weather suffers the same deal. Every, every snowstorm, when it gets to Poto, it splits and goes south and goes north. We can't even get snow in Fort Smith anymore because of that covering that's over it. And I watched, and this guy texted me the other night. He said, would you please get the bishop to pray about that weather business? I've been telling it everywhere because I want people to understand there really is power in what you say. You, you've got authority. When you, when you start speaking to what you're going through, what you're going through has to respond to it. When you're speaking in the Holy Ghost. So... He said, we just, he said, I'm in my storm shelter. A tornado just blew through here and another one's on the way. They had two come through that night. I'm sorry for them. But that word was spoken over my house and over my family. And it will last and it will work until I quit believing it. And every time that those things start through and that coincides with me going out of town, the enemy starts telling me, you need to stay home. You, you need to stay home. You, you need to think about canceling this trip. You need to think about canceling this trip. And the Lord keeps saying to me, you need to let me be God, and you go do your job and let me do my job. And if you don't want those storms coming here, you better obey me, and you go, and you keep speaking faith about that word. Even the weather responds to your faith. Because God gets involved. The Lord's not going to force one of us to have one miracle happen in our life today. Not one. He's not going to force one of us to let him in. He's not going to force one of us. He didn't force us to receive the Holy Ghost. He offered it and we took it. That principle has not changed. The miraculous intervention of heaven is still available. It's offered and all we've got to do is take it. That's it. But Lewis, I hadn't forgot that word the Lord gave you that time a few years ago. It come through me when you run by here a while ago. The Lord said, I ain't forgot what I told that man. I hadn't forgot what I told that man. I don't, I think pastor said, I don't know how some seeds you plant like winter wheat. You got to plant that in the fall and let it lie dormant all through the winter while it gets snow and ice on it. Cause that does a certain thing. Some kind of a chemical reaction takes place in that soil with that seed. And then in the springtime or late winter, that, that winter wheat starts to come up through the wintertime and early spring or mid-spring, it's ready to harvest. There's some seeds you plant, and within days it starts coming out of the ground. Some stuff goes in the ground and stays there for months before it comes up. But until it comes up, and this is where we get lost, we get lost in that time of until. 
God says, I'm going to do this. He didn't tell us the exact day and hour. And while we're waiting on it to come to fruition, we check out because God hadn't done it yet. And then when we come to the house of God or we wake up at home, our response to heaven is, I don't know if he's going to do it or not. Well, right that minute, you've just nixed it. Right that minute, you allowed the spirit of doubt to sweep into that garden and absolutely poison every seed that's in the ground. Now, Jesus spoke of things that were not as though they were. You and I have that same obligation. But we also have an obligation to act accordingly. You understand what I'm telling you? And this is not the first Sunday that we've hit this ceiling and then gone back down or hit that wall and come back. How many of you are tired of having predictable church? I mean, honestly, you're not offending him. He's tired of it. Raise your hand. You tired of predictable church? Oh, we don't want to upset Brother Wright. Then act different. Quit waiting on him to pull a rabbit out of the hat. My God, the man, how much more can he preach? And, and you know, I know people tease you about preaching a long time. The devil is a lie. Let them talk. Because what they don't understand is it wouldn't take about five minutes if we get an amen out of the pew. The yay is in the house. The yay. Man of God sitting right here. The man of God's preaching the yay. Uh, and, 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 and let me just go on. You said I could say anything. And since I don't preach with notes, only God knows where this is going. But we tease about how long church goes. We, we tease. We make cutting remarks about, well, I wonder how long he's going to preach tonight. I pray your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth if you ever say that about him again. You hear me? And if you write it down, I pray you get arthritis in your fingers. You can't even hold a pen in them. Matter of fact, everybody that's put their mouth on this man of God right here, you do yourself a great favor to repent of it before you get in bed tonight. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. I, I feel my help. My, that angel has moved in. Some of you are blaming this man right here for what you think should be happening and isn't happening. Are you really, Brother Lewis? Come up here and sit behind him then. And I can hear your conversations and so help me, God. We, we have gotten to the point that the fear of God is so absent among us, we, we will put our tongue and mouth on the man of God and blame him for everything. Now, I've been sitting in this building all day with you, and I love you, and I've been coming up here for over 20 years. This is my home church. Your bishop's my bishop. We family. But when we come to this church, service after service, and our expectation is, oh, God, I wonder how long he's going to preach tonight. Oh, God. 
And if we want to, we can spend all morning finding everything that's wrong about everything around us and criticize it all through service. All, where are y'all going? Brother Breckenridge, no, no, uh-uh. You ain't checking it out. You got to get back down here. You staying with me. <laughs> I needed a little levity there. And, and if we want to, we can, get, we can get sucked into this great vortex of, of everything. Just, just nitpick the whole world apart. And, well, I don't like this. Well, I don't like them. Oh, shut up. Just shut up. Well, you ain't supposed to say that in church. Well, you ain't supposed to gossip in church either, but you do it. Criticize in church. Set back. I wouldn't have sang that song. Well, of course not. You won't sing any song. I don't know how long he's going to preach tonight. I'll tell you how long he's going to preach. He's going to preach until he can get your behind off that pew. And I'm going to tell you for a fact, there's times that preachers preach longer than probably they would have. Waiting, trying to get, and well, it's not about a response. You know what? When, when a man of God's desperate, and he knows what God gave him for the church will do a miracle. He will stay with it or she will stay with it until God moves in that building and everybody that, that has that need gets that answer. But we got to stop blaming one another. The platform can't keep blaming the pew and the pew got to quit blaming the platform. And we got to put blinders on. If y'all ain't never been down in the country and seen a horse with blinders, they put them blinders on them plow horses. So they will stay in the row they're supposed to be in and plow where they're supposed to plow. If y'all ain't never seen none of that, you need to go down to Branson and go to Silver Dollar City and look at some of them horses with blinders on on them parade routes. They put those blinders on them so they can't see anything to the left or to the right. And there's a whole lot of goosenecking. You know, a lot of times on the interstate when I'm driving, I get in traffic jams that are like 25,000 miles long. And you're getting up there and you're expecting some sort of horrible mayhem. And the little brother on the other side of the highway going the other direction had a flat. And some simple-minded person that don't even need a driver's license got to goosenecking at that, slowing down, and, and everybody starts goosenecking. Well, what's going on back there? Don't nobody even know nothing. And there's a lot of goosenecking going on in the church. Look to your neighbor and tell them, stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. You mind your business and I'm going to mind my business. I got a problem that only God can fix. And, and if my behavior is going to make you uncomfortable tonight, one of us is going to have to get off of this pew. Matter of fact, you just keep the pew. I'm fixing to shout my way to the altar and I'm going to dance. And the man of God, you, you want him? Oh. You can go to the office if you'd like. I don't know how much deeper we want all these preachers around here to preach. How much more powerful do we want them to preach? How many greater revelations do we need to hear? How much more vision casting do we need to hear? We need to start believing in what we've already heard. You will only ever be passionate about what you believe in. I believe in Peter Pan peanut butter. 
As far as I'm concerned, the rest of that garbage out there is substandard. When, when Peter Pan left the shelf for a while, I just gave up peanut butter altogether because there is no way. I'm going to tell you something. Don't, don't be slamming Peter Pan. He has kept me from fasting on several. I've, I've avoided a several fast because of Peter Pan and starvation. It ain't going to get me. I can get Peter Pan. And you get that Peter Pan jar. I love them. I don't like them old, you know, them thick, stiff I like them Peter Pan jars that are just the right size. You can hold it in the hand like a big cup, like a gulp cup. And you can just squeeze that thing right. I did it the other night in the hotel, Sister Bailey. Where did she go? I, I just took that Peter Pan jar and just squeezed it. Just I'm talking about literally my mouth is watering right now. I left my hotel room at 2 o'clock in the morning to go down to the lobby to get a spoon because I had squeezed all I could squeeze out of the top of it. And now I'm down to dipping Peter Pan out. But however you can get Peter Pan out of the jar, get him out of the jar and into your mouth. I am passionate about Peter Pan. That Reese's and Jif, don't insult your palate with putting Jif peanut butter in it. Just don't do that. But if Peter Pan's sitting on the shelf and I want peanut butter and I don't buy Peter Pan and take him home with me, I can't enjoy the goodness in that jar. And I can't blame you if I got the 4 or $5 it takes to take Peter Pan home. I can't blame you because I didn't get my addiction fixed with Peter Pan. And, and, and coffee. I'm passionate about one coffee. And out in Seattle area, Brother Schoonover and them, they, they laugh at me because I like coffee. I want one kind of coffee. I don't care about no hazelnut, no caramel macchiata. I don't, I don't, I don't care about grandes and lattes. I, I just want coffee. Do you need room for whip? And the first time I went to one of them little specialty shops and they said, do you need room for whip? I said, what are you talking about? Whip what? Do you need room in the top of your cup for whip? I said, are you kidding me? You're wasting good space. Put coffee in that. Whipped cream, for goodness sake. But I don't, I don't care about Maxwell House, and I, I don't care about Columbia. And I, I like community, okay, but Folgers Custom Roast, the classic. I'm passionate about that. I, I don't want it in no little Keurig either. I get, I get depressed with them Keurigs because it's that one little cup of that stuff, and I don't know... I, I don't want to wait for another one to drip. And, and I'm not sure there is another one. And, and I want a full, I want 10 or 12 cups of that Folgers. Yeah, but it gets, no, it don't get old. I drink it fast enough. It don't get old. You understand what I'm telling you? I am passionate about those two things because I love them. And I'll pass up a substitute. I am passionate for the Holy Ghost. I, I am I am passionate for a move of God, and I will pass up a dead church service. I'd just as soon sit in my truck in Walmart parking lot and have a move of the Holy Ghost right there as I had to have to come set through or go set through some dead church service where nothing was happening. The collective church service, as we call them, shouldn't be affected by a corporate issue as much as it is by individuals getting what they need to get from God, getting where they need to be with God, irregardless of what's going on corporately. 
I mean, we may have somebody sleeping on the pew behind you, but it shouldn't stop you from getting what you need from God. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody in this room is going to go to eat lunch sometime or another today, more than likely unless you're fasting. And if you are, God bless you. But if you're not fasting, everybody in here is intending to eat lunch. And if your arms work the way they're supposed to and everything's right, you're, you're going to, if you're at a buffet, you're going to hold that plate and you're going to get that little dipping spoon and you're going to load that plate up with everything and you're going to get back to the table. And somebody, there's going to be some little old skinny frail thing looking at thick people like me and saying, oh, you got a lot on your, I'm like, you know what? Pump the brakes on all that criticism. I'll put sideboards on this plate the next, you think this one's embarrassing? I'm a, I got the spirit of David on me. You think this plate's embarrassing? Wait till I go back the next round. I, I will pile it up with stuff I ain't even going to eat just to embarrass you. I'm going to tell you little frail people stuff. Don't try to shame big people talking about how much we eat. All the thick people in here say amen. We didn't get this way being timid. You ain't going to scare me back off no buffet. You go on ahead with your little 38 waist britches. I don't care. <laughs> I ain't afraid of fried chicken. I'll eat every piece you put in front of me. Well, not every piece. I finally reach a maximum, but... My point is simply this. When you come to the house of God, you've got to have that same attitude. If you're hungry, it don't matter what they're serving. It don't matter what song they're singing. If it's, here come Peter Cottontail hopping down the bunny trail. I have a responsibility. They may sing the, the most anointed song in the world. And you can sit right there through it and be just dead as a hammer. The music helps us. But it shouldn't be our life support. And we have substituted music for personal involvement. We sang that song years ago, Move Me With Your Message Once Again. If the word can't move us, we're in trouble. If the word can't affect us, we're in trouble. If we can't remember the promises of God and the prophetic things that God's told us and that move us, we're in trouble. If we can't remember the vision that God's given us for our families and that caused us to behave, how do you want your family or your friends that you've invited to church to see you behaving when they walk in here? I was in a church one time and, and, and the pastor said to me, he said, I don't know when the last time was that anybody received the Holy Ghost here. I said, like, you, you really don't remember or are you just having to think about it? He said, no, I can't remember when. It's been years. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, the reason is there have been a lot of people here that needed the Holy Ghost. That came looking for something. 
But they were being told about something they were not being shown. And if they had surrendered their will and received the Holy Ghost, they'd have been the only ones in this whole building speaking in tongues. And because they were so intimidated about that, they just did not press their way through. You and I don't have that excuse. That morning, the Lord said to me, sit on the platform, tell them what I've told you, and until somebody speaks in tongues in this building, you are not preaching to them one more time. He said, and there are four or five, I remember now, it was either four or five people in that room that need to receive the Holy Ghost. I told them that, and there was an elder sister on the front row that hadn't been there any of the time I had. She'd actually been out for months, almost a year in rehab, had hip surgery or something. And when I said that, the Holy Ghost hit that old woman. She grabbed that walker and came up off of that pew and began to speak in tongues. Come find out, she and her husband were old pioneers. They'd built churches all over the country, in, in that state, rather. And... um she started speaking in tongues, and it was about like four sections, and it was three sections, actually, and it was like a wave just went up each one of them, just explosions. People began to speak in tongues, and when it was all said and done, those four or five people had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost just because that church got into that flow and allowed that flow into that church. You understand what I'm saying to you? Now, I know it's kind of tapered off a minute. We're going to pick it back up. But somewhere along the way, you and I are going to have to make our minds up that we really are tired of predictability. We really are done with waiting on somebody to make it happen for us. And we're going to have to come into this building, every service, with our faith in God. Not that he will, but that he can. If our faith in him is simply based on whether he will or not, then our response to him is going to be based on whether he does or not. Your walk with God should never be built on whether or not he will. It must be built on simply he can. And it doesn't matter how he does it or if he does it, my response to heaven must always be built on the fact that God can. God can turn a mountain into a molehill. God can turn... A, a, a river that's raging out of its banks just dry it up in an instant. God can do, he can send a raven with food in his mouth to feed me. God can do all of those things. It doesn't matter to me whether he does do them or not. I know that he can do them. And if I don't want him to pass me by with a miracle in his mouth and give it to somebody else, I've got to give God something he can respond to. And God don't respond to pitiful. God don't respond to poor mouth. God don't respond to this woe is me nonsense. God don't even respond to, oh my God, will somebody please do something? Oh my God, when is the church? I, I've heard people say to me, our pastor just don't, there's nothing in that that's going on in that church that creates a hunger in us. It's not their job to make us hungry. It's not their job to make us desirous of the things of heaven. It is not their job to motivate us and inspire us to do what we need to do. It's their job to say the water's troubled. It's my job to be so starved and so hungry and so passionate about God that anytime the man of God in my life says, this is what's here, if you'll get into it right now, God's going to do X, Y, Z. And by, let me tell you something, buying the DVD or watching it online later isn't the same. When the waters are troubled in this, in this building because of a word coming out of somebody's mouth, in that moment, you need to get in it. And, and none of this sitting back and copping out and saying, well, 
that don't apply to what I'm going through. My kids aren't going through that right now. My family's not going. You know what? Maybe they're not today, but six months from now, they may be. And while the water's troubled and that miracle's in the building, you need to make sure that it gets released into your family, into your home, into your spirit, so that when the day comes, you do need it. You've already invested yourself in the kingdom, and God can do exactly what needs to be done at that very moment. And you won't be bankrupt of a miracle. And when that time comes, there won't be any being mad at God and being upset because it's been, oh, I've been going through. No, no, no. You're going through this sometime because you didn't take advantage of what was available to you when it was available. There is no way any apostolic should ever be willing to sit through. Not, not, I'm talking about willing to sit through a church service and not do everything you can to move heaven in your direction. Irregardless of what everybody else is doing. Don't wait on Brother Lewis or, or, or somebody else to run the aisles. Don't, don't wait on somebody, that so and so sister that, you know, if, if God's moving, she's gonna be the one. And if she'll ever start, well, we'll start. Wake up and, and have your mind made up on Sunday morning when you get here. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna park in a whole different place out here in the parking lot. I'm gonna walk from, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna park out there in the gravel and I, I'm gonna dance my way into the back doors of this building. I'm not waiting on the music. I'm not waiting on somebody to sing to me. I'm not waiting on somebody to beg me to do anything. I'm not waiting on getting rebuked. I'm walking in that building with my hands up talking it. Well, what if people see you? They've been seeing us wondering, I thought you really had something. I thought you had the difference. I thought you had received something that set you apart. I thought God really, I've heard you. And, and, and if you've ever testified about how God good, how good God is to you, then you cannot continue to behave like God's never done anything for you. This is not about God. You've been good to me and you've done a lot for me, but what have you done for me lately? It don't matter if the only miracle Jesus ever does in your life is filling you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you live to be 400 years old, you ought to dance every last day of it in your spirit, in your body. You ought to be guilty of opening your mouth every day in your spirit to heaven and giving God thanks and praise and adoration for doing that one miracle. If he never answers another prayer, the very fact that he did that for you ought to change the way we act. He did not many great works in their midst because of what? Whose unbelief? Theirs. They didn't believe him for it. And if we don't change that, he'll do great miracles everywhere else, but not here. Have I made anybody mad? I know. Every time Brother Shelton comes, we get in trouble. You're not in trouble. I'm desperate for you. All morning long, we bounce back. And then we sing another song. We get it, and we bounce back. And then a little exhortation, we get to a certain faith level, and boom, we drop back down. And it's been like a yo-yo all morning long. And we have got to break that. And I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but I don't believe it's all devil. I know the enemy's uh, happy to get involved in it. 
and mix it up because we've made room for him to do that. But the problem we've got is not all devil. There are devils that are causing problems because the door that we've opened is in our flesh. Our conduct has to change. And it can't be just a service change. It can't just be a once a month thing. It can't be a once a quarter or a once a year. It's got to become a lifestyle change. If you want it, he'll do it. It's just that simple. If we don't, he won't. But it's not his fault. And I'm going to tell you something. The Lord's not interested in visiting hours with us. He's not interested in, in visitation rights with us. He doesn't want to be told, yeah, you know what? You can come hang out with us on this day, and you can come hang out with us on that day, and we'll give you a couple hours here and a couple hours there, and everything will be just fine. God's not interested in that. He's He's not interested in um, only being wanted when he's needed. He's not interested in us only wanting him when we need him. Nobody wants to be in a marriage or a relationship where the only time somebody wants to call you and talk to you is when they need you. And you've all probably had those people in your life. I'm sure you don't anymore. But when the phone rings, you know. If if it's so-and-so on the phone, the only reason they call is when they need something. And it gets to the point, you know, family members will look at the phone and see a, a, some family members like, oh, God, how much they need this time. Before you ever even answer the phone. I know y'all all sanctified Maryland. None of that happens here. But down South Arkansas and in North Arkansas, we have those problems. Oh, God, how much they want now? What do they want now? And I wonder sometimes if maybe God ever gets to feeling that way about us. Oh, Shelton's praying again. <laughs> What's he want now? You understand what I'm telling you? It's not just about a need-based issue either. And if it is need-based, it's not always about my needs. My conduct is going to affect sometimes whether that person who don't have the faith to believe is actually going to be able to receive something from God because I believed it for them to the point that I acted the way I needed to and the gift of faith went out of me and began to build their faith. There are people that come to our churches that don't have the faith to believe for what they need. And the gift of faith operating through us begins to hit them. And it elevates their faith to believe in something that 30 minutes ago they couldn't believe in for themselves. And we can't go out of here saying, well, how come more people aren't receiving the Holy Ghost? We have got to allow the gifts of the Spirit to operate in our churches. And the gift of faith has got to operate in the house of God. Brother Barnes told me one time, he said, the only thing you need for the gift of faith to operate is unbelievers. People that have never received the Holy Ghost. And if those people are around you, the gift of faith operates through you and it'll elevate the faith in that place to a point that anybody that needs the Holy Ghost and is ready to receive it, God can fill them with his spirit. So much of what is or is not happening in our churches, not just here but around the world, is dependent and predicated on our behavior, our faith, what our expectations are. I've talked to you till y'all are all about to fall off the pews. Everybody just stand up.
There are sometimes we have breakthroughs in church services and it's dependent on emotion. But we're not, we're not doing that. This, this is not something that we're going to break through with an emotional response to God. You hear me? Nothing has changed in God's mind and design for Antioch the Apostolic Church. Corporately, Arnold, West, or North, or any of the other congregations and care groups and whatever's going on. God's plan for this church has not changed. It hasn't changed. We've seen some of the promises of God come to fruition. Some of them have come up when we planted them. They, they grew quickly. Some of them were a medium growth rate. And then when you're buying plants and, and shrubs and stuff for your yard, on the tags, it'll tell you their growth rate. Some are slow, some are medium, some are fast. And depending on what you want them for and what they're needed for is, is sometimes determined by the slow, medium, or fast growth, whether you buy them or not, and how big they are when you buy them. And the kingdom is no different. There are things that God intends to grow and produce fruit quickly. Then there's other things that come along a little later and other things that come along a little later. But even those seeds that were planted that 25 or 30 years ago may have just now come to fruition. It doesn't change the fact that God's plan for this church is still exactly what it's always been. He has not changed anything. I told you when my brother died in October... I stood in the, in the hotel room and I laid the phone down and in the midst of making all these phone calls and I, I'm telling you, I was having trouble. And I stood there for a minute and I told the Lord, I don't understand why you've allowed this to happen. I don't understand what's even going on. But I need you to know that this changes nothing between me and you. I believe in you right now. You're, you're still the healer. I've seen you raise the dead three times. If you choose to raise my brother, that's fine. If you don't, it doesn't change the fact that you are able to do it, and I'm willing to believe that, and nothing's changed between you and I. And that attitude has to permeate every part of every one of our days and lives and moments and issues and circumstances. Lord, I know you're able, but if you don't, it doesn't change anything between us. If you don't, if you don't bring my children back home at the exact moment that I think you ought to, it doesn't change anything between me and you. If you don't fix my marriage problems exactly when and how I thought you ought to, it isn't going to change anything. I'll be back here on Sunday night doing what I'm supposed to. I'll be up on Monday morning doing what I'm supposed to. Who you are is not affected by what I'm going through. And, and we have to make, and, and you know what? I ask who all is tired of predictable church. All you raise your hands. How many of you realize whether or not you're playing a part in that predictability? Let me see your hands. If church is predictable and you're tired of it, then I want you to be honest about it. And y'all are real quick. I want you to be honest and hold them up and say, if this is you, I have been part of the reason that our church services are predictable. Get them up. I haven't behaved like I know to. And, and you know what? When Brother Smith's here and all that stuff's going on, that's great. That's, that ought to be the icing on the cake. We ought to be doing that every service. It's all about your decisions, your choices. It's not about a good church service here and there. And I'm not saying that Antioch is not a good church. Antioch, I'd rather be here than anywhere in the world. And, and, and I don't, I don't know of anywhere that I would rather be than right here. 
with any group of people that I'd rather be with than you sitting in here right here on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm happy as a pig in slop to be right here where I'm at. The only thing negative about being up here is the traffic. God's not trying to take you back to your former greatness. You hear me? Some of us that have been such loyalists to history need to let go of it. Thank God for it. Remember it. But quit trying to get back to it. God's not trying to take us backward in time. The Lord's saying, if you think the spirit of David's dead, I've got news for you. That same spirit's alive and well in the church. If you think what we did before was awesome, not, not, why does God have to keep coming and telling us that? Why do men of God have to keep coming and saying to Antioch, if you think your former days were great, the promises of God for your future are even greater. They've said that so much we're sick of hearing it. Hello, somebody. I'll be lying in the building. We get tired of one more prophecy about our greatness to come. And you wonder, why does God keep telling these dudes to come by and tell us that? Because he's hoping that somewhere along the way there's going to be an everlasting amen in the pew. And the Lord keeps saying, I believe if I will tell them enough times, someday. That's why pastors preach the same thing, seems like, over and over and over. Because we're hoping that at some point in time, somebody is going to amen that. Somebody's going to believe it enough to say, you know what, I'm claiming that promise. And, and I believe personally, Brother Wright, that God is waiting on somebody to believe all the prophetic words that have been spoken over this church. Some, some new convert, somebody, these twins over here that just got the Holy Ghost and baptized, I, I thought my glasses, I left them at the house and I met them at my hotel and I didn't know what was happening. Maybe it's gonna be them. Maybe it's gonna be the mother right here that received her, her, her certificates this morning. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's somebody that hadn't even received the Holy Ghost yet that's going to walk in this building and hear that promise for the first time and not be so calloused and jaded by having heard it for 40 years that they are absolutely going to explode. It's, it's like I heard a story of a man who was preaching in New York and he was talking about how God could heal and all this stuff and they had just prayed a homeless dude through. He still was in a mess from his, his condition on the streets and he came and asked for a bottle of oil. They baptized him and he was dried off. He got a bottle of oil and started going to hospitals and praying for people. Came back a couple of days later, got another bottle of oil. Went into some more hospitals. After about a week and a half of that, he had gotten three or four bottles of oil the police department in this major city called that church pastor and said, you need to come down here and get so-and-so out of jail. He said, I don't know who that is. He said, well, you should. You're his pastor. He said, I don't know him. And he described him to him. He said, oh, God, okay, what has he done? He said, just get down here. We don't know how to deal with him. He got arrested because the hospitals in that city called the police because their patients kept getting cured and walking out of their hospitals and they were losing revenue and they got to where every time they saw that man walk in the hospital door they knew somebody was going out with him and they were going to lose money so they called the police department and had him arrested he didn't know that god really wouldn't do that he hadn't been saved so long that he had gotten to the place that he was educated enough to realize god only does the miraculous occasionally 
He didn't know the Lord really didn't intend to do all that stuff on a day-to-day basis. Like we do. I mean, you know, we've, we've grown so much. What do you do with a guy like that? Do you tell him to quit? No, no. Go buy him a two-gallon jug of Wesson oil and turn the brother loose. Set aside some bail money and keep getting the brother out of the joint every time he gets picked up. Make room for revival. If you got somebody that's new here and going nuts and acting crazy, act crazy with them so they, my God, let it be an infectious. We've, we've, we've become the CDC. That's what we've done. We've turned in the Center for Disease Control. And the disease we're trying to cure is apostolic behavior and conduct. We can inoculate you. You want to shout in church? We got a shop for that. Sit down. It's offering time. And I'm waiting for somebody to just bust loose. I, y'all just have to take your offering on your own time. I can't sit here. I was drunk yesterday and I'm sober. You, you don't know what God's... And when the brother just comes unhinged, I would to God that somebody would just go crazy with him. Instead of... Brother, we, we've got a shot for that. Sit down. You know that look we give people when they start shouting too much and we got visitors in the building and the visitors are like, oh my God, what are they doing? And we're so embarrassed. We won't go back to somebody we know that's visiting in our church and tell them, look, I, I know you guys are new. I, I, introduce yourself to them and, and look, I, let me just explain to y'all what's going on in here. That, and like you did. You don't know what she's been through and you don't know what Brother Lewis has done and you don't know what God's done for all of these people. But instead of that, we look around and we see our guests going. And we get offended because they're laughing at us. For God's sake. Have you looked at us the way we act sometimes when we're acting normal? I mean, people that's been coming to church for 25 years, if they ever shouted the first time, we'd all be smiling. But we get offended if our guests smile at us. So rather than being mocked and made fun of, we just sat quietly. It looked as though we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. We've been inoculated. It's like the, not long ago, a fellow was on a plane and, and he had a heart attack. or was in the process of having one. And the flight attendants and there were some doctors on board and everybody's working with this guy in the aisle trying to help him. And his sister, she's probably sitting somewhere on anyway. She she's up there, and, ma'am, to the flight attendant, ma'am, ma'am. They're, I mean, these people are all out in the aisle trying to help this brother not pass, ma'am, ma'am. And finally, the flight attendant, exasperated, turns around and looks at it, this woman, thinking she's she's a, a heart doctor or something. And when she looks up at this woman, she's got her coffee cup in her hand, and she said, "My coffee's cold." Now I want you to do something for me. I want you to think about those two stories. When you get here tonight, figure out which one of them you're going to act like. You're going to be that little brother that don't know God can be limited. Or you're going to be that sister in the aisle wanting your coffee warmed up. Is that too blunt? Am I being ugly? It's a reason I probably don't get invited back but once a year. 
you're going to come back to this place tonight with the attitude, my God, give me some oil. Or my coffee's cold. Lift your hands. Yeah. Make your mind up. Which one of those two are you going to be? Come on. Which one? In Jesus' name. Yeah, come on. Somebody just step into it for a minute, would you?
Indiana.